We are wrapping up our sermon series that we started a few weeks ago. We started talking about the topic of how to get ahead. And again, if you've been here for any long time, you know that we do very unique sermon series. We did a whole study of the book of James for the entire summer. And this has been a financial series for the past few weeks. So we're going to start something brand new next week and tell some Bible stories together. So there, we always shift gears from week to week, from series to series. So this has been a financial series, How to Get Ahead. Not, not a, uh, we want you to be able to, we, it's about, not about you giving, although hopefully you will in the long run do that plenty. It's about you getting, we want you to get ahead. And so we've, we're wrapping this up today. And I, off, I, I don't say this every time, but once in a while I remind you that a sermon series is, is sometimes kind of like one really long sermon. Just broken up into several weeks. And we're all thankful for that. Otherwise, we'd be sitting here for three or four hours to get through that one very long sermon. We'd be very hungry and bored before it was half over. We probably already are. But it would really be really bad then, right? So um, this is, uh, is kind of like one long sermon. And because of it, today is such a practical and financial information series uh, sermon today to wrap it up. But don't forget the broader topic the last few weeks. And we don't have much time to review. But I always remind you that if you ever missed one of the sermons or more along the way, you can go to our website, lighthousecedarlake.com. And the audio and the video sermons are available there as well as our Facebook page. You can catch up. But I want you to see something, just because, um, a little behind the scenes. So when we first, the team and I began to build this sermon series, the first thing I did is I came up with a whole document full of scriptures that the Bible has a lot to say on the subject of money. Lots to say. And we came in the next meeting, we kind of dwindled my list down to a more manageable group, and then dwindled that down some more. And we're going to look at some new verses today, but so far, just a quick glimpse of the last three weeks, the first three quarters of this really long sermon, here's some of the scriptures that we've already examined. A lot of them have been in Proverbs, because the Proverbs has a lot to say about being wise with our money. And we're going to look at some more today, but I hope that along the way you've let the, the idea wash over you that this is not a separate topic from being a person of faith or a spiritual person or a Jesus follower. That if we believe in God and follow God, it includes what we do with what he has to say about our finances as well. And so we've been talking, we talked from the very first week about the two broke brothers. Remember them? The two broke brothers, one was broke because he was lazy and refused to work and bring in income. His other brother worked very hard, but he was broke because everything he brought in, he spent. He was wasteful. One was lazy, one was wasteful. Different personalities, probably critical of the other one, but both in the end were broke. One because he was lazy, one because he was wasteful. And Proverbs taught us several times to be wise and be like the ant that works hard during the good months and hard during the, works hard during the good times of life to bring in, but then it doesn't use it all, it stores it up for a later time when it's needed. And so we saw the ant principle. And we've been using this illustration in front of us all this time. And I kind of set the whole thing up. Usually I unpack it during the sermon slowly, as you've seen. We kind of preloaded it all. I've been giving these M&Ms away and we're kind of running out. I gave three jars away after the first service. So we're kind of running out um, of M&Ms here for illustration. But we've been doing is we've been saying that this bin represents income. And you can take your life and you can earn income. Not like the one broke brother who's too lazy to work. But we, we earn income. We maximize our income. And then oh, we, this is outgo over here. We can spend it all and waste it, sometimes necessarily, sometimes wastefully or extra. But, but if we can learn to save before we spend, save first. And then even when we spend, don't spend it all, but save a little extra and put it in the middle. This middle area represents getting ahead. 
And, and I'm going to start the sermon off with the jars already on the table to represent that slowly over time we get ahead by, by doing this. And that the principle we've taught over and over is that getting ahead, getting ahead is about widening the gap between income and outgo. That you've got to widen that gap. That, you, that if your income and outgo match, you're not getting anywhere. And if, you know, but the more you can raise your, maximize your income without maximizing your outgo, actually minimizing your outgo, the bigger the gap, the faster and more effectively you're able to get ahead. And the idea is not to have big money pots in the end like Scrooge McDuck swimming through your money pool. The idea is to get ahead so that later you can have some options in front of you. And we've talked about that for the last few weeks. And, but you got to do the hard part first. It's, it's about getting ahead. Because eventually when you get ahead, the idea of this, this right here is it is put to work for you. And it's bringing you return passive income that you're not working for so that you have other options on the table later on in life. We asked the question from the first week. Every week we gave you a question. Week one, we said, here's your question to take home. What does getting ahead mean to you? There's any number of answers for that. But I want to just, just say, why do we want to get ahead? So we just, just so we have a lot? No, it's so that we can do a lot. We want you to have freedom. And it's up to you. You are free to choose what you do with that freedom. We have some suggestions. One of my suggestions is that if you work hard early and you don't spend early and you get ahead and you put it to work for you, you can stop the need to work at nine to five for the rest of your life until you're too old to, 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 to drop. You can, you can get ahead this way um, by, by freeing yourself from the need of a certain job or being more free to have your options in front of you. That's a wonderful thing. Um, but you could also be free to, to, to live nicer in other ways. But first things first, getting ahead opens up doors. But whatever that your choice is of how you use that freedom, there's no choice until you're free to choose because you've managed to get ahead. Now, we've talked about this ad nauseum, but I want to say this real quick. One big reason to get ahead is not just for ourselves, so we can have more, live nicer, be freer from, with our time. One reason to get ahead is for others especially for family, for our family. I want to show you a couple Bible verses here at the outset that I think are important. Um, one of them is Proverbs 13, 22. It says, Good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. It's interesting about this discussion of leaving an inheritance to our grandchildren. Now, I know, I've been in church world a long time, and I know that most of the time we don't look at the financial implications in this verse and only look at the spiritual implications of the verse, probably because many of us haven't, you know, felt like we've achieved the financial aspects of the verse, so we, out of a sake of more vagueness and hope, cling only to the other half, but they're both there. Because if we're looking at spiritually, we'd say, well, what it means, Arlen, is that good people, by doing good, bring blessings to themselves and their families. And so by they leave a blessing to their grandchildren, they basically, it's a spiritual, they leave a spiritual richness to their grandchildren because they're good people, and that passes on down. And I would never deny that, so that's powerful truth. I've, I've taught that, I believe that. Our, everyone's better when we, do, uh, when, we, when we do right. But it's not just referring to some vague spiritual blessing. It's referring to, look at the next half of the verse, but the sinner's wealth, the sinner's wealth is passed to the godly. In other words, it's referring to literal financial well-being in, this, in the context. It's financial. And you say, well, even that, Arlen, what it means is that God takes the money from the bad people and gives it to the children of all the good people. Has that been your experience in life? Does everybody you know who's good have all the money and all the bad people are, are all broke? Is that how you've experienced the world that you live in? That's not what I've noticed. 
Sometimes people who aren't very good have money for their kid, them and their kids, right? So that must not be, I know we want to twist it that way because it makes us feel better, but that doesn't make sense with real life experience. So before we, we explain away the financial part of a verse to make it spiritual in a way that doesn't pan out, we need to look at what it may be saying. And I think very simply what it's saying is that when, when, when we do good, our, family, our posterity after us benefits. When we do good financially, they benefit. But when we make bad choices or sinful choices, listen, it, it, just, it affects our future generations. We've all benefited from, the, from the, the good decisions and hard work and sacrifices of those before us. As a nation, we have. Some of you, your ancestry at some point came from a far place and they made hard choices and, and worked hard and made good decisions and, and you don't even think about it anymore, but your life has just been privileged to be beyond the edge of the world because of other people's choices ahead of you. And our, our kids and our grandkids benefit from when we do what's right and what's best. Um, in the same way, if, I become, if you become a criminal and spend time in prison, your children are going to suffer financially from your criminal and payment choices, and your grandchildren are going to suffer. The economics are going to pour down to your generations, right? And if you make good decisions financially, or if you're addicted to things, if you're bad choices, and you're addicted, you're, going to spend, you're not going to be able to take care of your kids. You're going to set your kids up for, well for life. Or your grandkids, it's going to pass down. The same way that if you follow what we've been studying for the past few weeks of financial principles, doing what God says is good. And remember, we studied James all summer. James said to those that know to do good and don't do it, to them it is sinful. When we do good, as God teaches us with our money, it, it, no matter what our struggles or, or limitations are in life, whatever extent we do what's right, it benefits those who come after us. And we should make it a goal of ours to be in a position to take care of those who come after us. In fact, this is not just an Old Testament idea. Paul, the apostle, while writing letters to his young protege, Timothy, young pastor Timothy, Paul said this in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. He said, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. It's very interesting. That's a very harsh statement, almost. Like, people who won't care for their own relatives and family, won't, won't do their job to provide for themselves and their loved ones, have denied the true faith and are, are worse than unbelievers. That seems harsh, doesn't it? But think about that. The reason we don't want to hear that is because we couldn't possibly be worse than unbelievers. There's a lot of people go to church all over the place today who feel a lot better than the rest of the world. I'm a good Christian because I'm a believer. Those unbelievers out there. But what does that even mean sometimes? You believe the things that you hope are true about God that you say you believe and you don't see that hopefully is a fire insurance policy to get you into the good place one day? Is that kind of the whole believing story for you? And people who don't believe that story are not as good as you because they don't believe what you believe. So what difference does that make in your life? Isn't it true that believing, believing God means you believe what he says and you do what he says? That believing in Jesus means you follow him because you believe him? So for us to say we believe the right things about what comes next and those bad people who don't believe what we say comes next are bad and we're good, we miss the mark if it doesn't change our, if it doesn't do anything for us. And well, if we don't let it affect, if we don't let what God says about our finances affect how we handle our finances, what we call ourselves people of faith. Meanwhile, people who don't even claim to be believers are following those principles of life. Paul says, man, you got some people who call themselves believers. They're worse than the unbelievers in how they take care of themselves and others through the principles of God's word about how we do what we're teaching in this series. Pointed, but good. Now, for the next chunk of our time today, 
Um, I'm going to talk a lot about investing. It's kind of the end of the sermon. This is probably the most unusual sermon in ways. I've never done this before in all my years to talk this much about, about finances and investing opportunities. I'm going to do it today because it kind of covers the, the gambit of the series. So when we talk about investing, some of you, you understand investments. You've made investments, and, and I'm going to be basic today, and you're going to be like, oh, Arlen, that was too simple. But here's what I want to encourage you. If you are an investment wizard, I hope that you'll sit back and appreciate that we're talking about basic ideas for those who've never considered them before to get the start going. And if you um, are there, that this will help you get started on that journey of thinking about how to invest. And if you have done, been on that path and you're really an expert in this, you and I can nerd out later. I love this subject. I'd be glad to talk about it with you in person. But if this is new to you today, what I'm going to do for the next few minutes is new. Before you just feel like it's too much or you write it off or you're bored or it's just not your thing, I hope that you'll lean into it because we want to figure out how, not only as we've discussed the last few weeks, to work hard, maximize income, minimize outgo, but once we put some aside, how to use it and leverage it for passive income to get us ahead and change our future. And if you're starting to do that, you want to know what to do with it, you don't want it to sit in a jar and just slowly trickle away when you're not working, you want to put it to work for you. So if investment's a new subject for you today, don't just shrink up and just say it's not important or I don't care. Lean into that tension. I've learned one thing through my life, and that is that when I don't know about something, if I submerse myself in something I don't know about but I want to learn about, I will feel like I'm over my head and drowning for a while. I don't understand half of or most of what's being said, but eventually I start learning the lingo and eventually start learning the ideas and it's a journey. So, so let this be a step into some waters that you need to wade into and eventually learn to swim in, even if they seem overwhelming today. We're not about investing. Now, if investing is new to you, let me begin by just saying, understand the power of compound interest. Most of us have been on one side or the other of the power of compound interest in our story of life, haven't we? And here's the thing. When it comes to... Um, when it comes to it all, compound interest can work for you or against you in a marvelous way. Many of us have been burned by it. Like we've got credit card debts, especially credit card debt, usually the highest interest rates are credit cards. But, but debt, that just is, is insane. Like many people, maybe most Americans are, ten, are thousands or tens of thousands of dollars into credit card debt. And here's the thing about credit card debt that's frustrating. Usually whatever you owe on is not just one thing, it's a bunch of things. And if you bought something along the way on, because you couldn't afford it, like I can't afford this, so you bought it on credit, it's probably in a pile of other things that you're making maybe minimum payments or maybe better than minimum payments. You're making payments on for years and years. Usually by the time we pay off that thing we bought, we've paid double or even triple for it. Think about that. That's the power of compound interest against us. Like, I can't afford it now, so I'm going to finance it. And by the time I'm done, the thing I couldn't afford to buy is not going to cost me two or three times as much. It doesn't work real well, but that's how, that's compound interest, and that's why it keeps us poor. That's why the companies who offer you that interest are doing very well, and we're all struggling, right? Because they figured it out. But compound interest in your favor is powerful, and you earn a good interest rate. I don't mean interest like the kind that your basic bank savings account offers you, like I got my money in my checking account and I have a savings account, you're probably earning sub 1% interest. That's basically nothing. That's not even keeping up with inflation. Inflation averages, what, 3% over the, most years? Well, this year it's been way worse than that, but that's another story. Uh, but it, it, it averages more than that. So, you know, you're not, you're not getting anywhere on, on sub-bank interest. But, um, I mean, when you put your money to work for you, 
and earn compound interest in your favor, it's pretty powerful. So let me give you a, a vesting idea to understand compound interest as we get started here. Um, first thing I want to mention to get you kind of wet the, our, our minds a little bit here is the rule of 72. The rule of 72 is an understanding principle about how compound interest works. And it goes like this. Whatever percentage of money you are earning interest on, whatever percent of interest you're earning in your investments, 72 divided by that number is how many years it will take for your money to double at that interest rate. So if you're earning, like, which is one reason why the savings account at your bank isn't going to get you very far. Usually it's sub 1%. If you're getting a whole 1%, amazing 1% from your bank savings account, 72 years later that money will double. <laughs> Not going to be very helpful, right? Um, but let's just think of $1,000, just a flat amount, and you invest it in 4% interest rate, which is barely better than inflation, but it's interest. That 4%, 72 divided by 4 is 18. Every 18 years, that investment would double. That 1,000, 18 years later, would be 2,000. And 18 years after that, that 2,000 would be 4,000. Do you see how it starts to work? If you were earning 6% interest, 72 divided by 6% is 12 years to double your money. Uh, the S&P 500 in the stock market, of course, it's not a flat line. It kind of, the stock market goes like this, but consistently over its lifetime, the S&P 500 averages an 8 or 9% increase. If you were earning 8 or 9% increase on your investments in the stock market over the course of, according to that rule, every 8 or 9 years, that investment would double. If you could earn 12% interest on your money, which is very doable in certain funds, 12% um, interest on your money every six years, according to the rule of 72, your money would double. So 1,000, six years later, would be 2,000. Six years later, two would be four. Six years later, four would be eight. Eight would become 16, six years after that, and so on. 18% interest earns you four, uh, four years of doubling your money. 20% interest earns you two, about three and a half years to double your money. Here's the point. Understanding that principle helps you understand that works for you and that works against you if you're paying interest. And so understand that idea. Now, I'm going to throw the sink at you for a minute here and talk about a lot of different investment options. And there's a lot of ways you can invest as you start getting ahead. Don't let's let it sit there earning sub 1% interest or sitting in your bank account. You say, well, it's safe there. It's not. You say, well, investing's dangerous. You could lose money in investment. Many investments you can. But you're losing value in the bank when the, when the inflation increases at an average of 3% a year. You're losing money just sitting it there. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's losing money in the bank year after year because the dollar doesn't go as far. You have to understand that you've got to make some interest just to break even. That's just it's, it's a bottom line. And, and the fact that we don't understand that and we get loans from the bank for higher interest rates and they give us a pittance of nothing back is why they have big fancy buildings and we live where we live because it doesn't work that way. So you need to invest. So I'm going to give you several mentions of investments. These are not exhaustive. The list could be longer, and I can't expound on each one of them. I want to, but I could spend a 20 minutes on each one of them, and we just don't have that much time today. So I'm going to give you a few things. Some of these are low-risk investment ways to do it, but the lower the risk, usually the lower the return, and the higher return potentials come from higher-risk investments. And You've got to weigh your risk a willingness in your portfolio. But let me give you several areas in which a person can invest. The first one is through bonds or CDs or annuities. I could also add money market accounts in there. And you could usually do better than your bank is offering you in a savings account for one of those. In fact, the more amount you're putting into one of those things, usually the higher the interest rate they'll give you. If you have a lot to put in, they'll give you a higher interest rate. The smaller 
Sometimes they won't even give you one at all. So, but you could save some money and you can, you can get a government bond or you can get an insurance annuity or a CD or a money market. You could do a few things. Usually the kind of rates you'll earn off of something like that, depending on how much you're putting into something like that, basically will get you a few percent. You should be able to outpace inflation on most years, not this year apparently, but you can outpace inflation doing something like that. If you're a young person, I don't recommend it highly because you won't get very far very fast. If you're middle-aged and broke, I wouldn't recommend it because you won't make up the, the lost time that way. Really, this is a good investment. It's low re reward, but it's lower risk. It's pretty safe. It's a great way for somebody who is either older and can't afford to have their money in risky investments because if the investment takes a downturn for a while, they can't live long enough to survive the up coming back. So they're older, so they need to diversify. Or they're already rich already as a younger person, and they want to diversify for protection. But if you're not in that boat, this is a very low risk and therefore, to me, boring way to invest. But it's a start, and it's something to do to invest your money. Better than the bank. Way better than just your bank account. Um, another form of investment can be um, stock, the stock market. The stock market companies that have gone public to let people buy pieces of their company. As, and you can own part of the stock of their company. You could do that. You could go out today and buy some Walt, shares of Walt Disney and own a little small piece of the Walt Disney company. And as the company grows, you're, you know, that investment grows and you make money. Now, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of people who they buy into mutual funds uh, or ETFs. A mutual fund would be something like um, a company, say a company buys a whole bunch of companies themselves to diversify the risk. And then you buy that into that mutual fund, you buy shares and therefore, you don't own just that one company. You own all the pieces of all the companies that that fund owns. And the reason that's advantageous is if you buy one stock, like I mentioned Disney earlier, and it crashes, well, that's your money. And it grows, you did well. But if you own a mutual fund or index fund, you own all the pieces of that fund. And if some go bad, that's okay. The other ones will carry it, and the winners will really carry them and stay for investment. In fact, there's a lot of index funds based upon the S&P 500. The S&P 500 is the top 500 companies on the stock exchange. You could buy an S&P index fund and own a little piece of all 500 companies. And again, it's safer because some of those companies will fail, but many of them will really succeed, and the average has been 8 or 9% return over the years. Some years are down, some years are up, some days are down or up. It doesn't matter. Over the long run, it tends to earn a pretty good interest return because it's 500 companies you're invested into. I think mutual funds or index funds, I think ETFs are kind of the new mutual funds are a much better way to go. If I was going to invest into a, a fund like that, I'd find an ETF. Don't, not to be confused with an EFT, electronic fund transfer. It's different. But you could also, in the stock market, you could build your own mutual fund or EF, ETF. For example, you can go, if you're a researcher, you could research companies that are owned by well-owned, good leaders with good financial background. You could do your research, and you could buy individual stock companies and create your own sort of fund by owning at least 15 to maybe 30 or so different companies. And by owning 15 to 30 different companies, if uh, you're, you're kind of creating your own fund so that some of those companies struggle but others do well, the winners will carry the losers. If you bought invested in good companies, many people could even, depending on how good they are at that, you could even outdo uh, uh, the S&P 500. Now, 
if, if, you're, if you don't want to do that research into all, like, you know, there's large cap stocks like Facebook and Apple and Amazon and Netflix and Google and Microsoft. And there's lots of, in Disney, yeah, a lot of mid cap stocks, there's small companies growing, upstart businesses like, like Upstart and, um, and so many others out there. You can buy companies, uh, so, so many stocks you can buy. And you can create your own fund so that the, hopefully the whole portfolio works. No one gets them all right, but you're, you're, you're balanced. And if you don't want to learn all that because it's too hard, just buy a, an index fund. Let the, someone else do it for you. Buy an ETF, let them do the thinking for you. Um, if the average 18 to 22-year-old would invest regularly, we mentioned saving 10% of your income throughout your life. If you'd invest regularly at age 18 to 22 into an S&P 500 index fund, you're going to be set for life way earlier than most people. You'll be way before retirement, you'll be, you'll be very well off. But you could also do it yourself if you're a nerd and want to look, look at owning your own favorite companies in a collaboration. Anyhow, that's another thing. I'll move past the third one quickly here. The third one is private lending and crowdfunding. Basically, most of us aren't rich enough to do that. If you're like big enough to be a venture capitalist or even an angel investor, you can start a business that wants to start and you'll fund it for them. Or you can't afford to start a business yourself, but you could crowdfund a business or somebody else with a bunch of other people. And together, the th a bunch of you can crowdfunding an upstart. Well, there's risk in that. It's high risk. For example, what if the business that you fund fails, you lose your money? Or it succeeds, but your money's tied up for a very long time and you can't get it when you need it. So that's the risk side. The upside is it's high reward. Usually, return on that investment is a bigger return. You're risking more, but you get a bigger payoff. So you see you're up higher risk, higher return, lower risk, lower return. Moving on, real estate's a good investment area. Real estate, of course, is, uh, you know, whether it's you're owning your own house in a good area that appreciates over time or maybe buying, you know, vacation property or owning a duplex or a townhome and renting the other half out or a quadplex. We understand rent real estate. I won't spend time there. I want to mention REITs to you. REITs are a way for some of us to invest in real estate beyond our capacity. A lot of people want to invest in real estate, but they can't afford to. Um, for example, commercial real estate is very lucrative. But um, it's also very expensive. But REITs are basically like crowdfunding for real estate. It's where you get a bunch of people together and they all fund a certain amount. They've got to have a certain minimum amount. And they fund it together and they can build a commercial project. For example, someone wants to build a shopping center in a nice area, a big area with a whole bunch of stores and shops. Like you picture in South Crown Point on Broadway Street where the Strax is there and the Chipotle and the 85 restaurants and all that stuff. Someone in recent years bought that land and they, a bunch of people, they had the money, some investors invested their money, the developers developed it, they sold or rented out the property and the people who invested into it are getting either rent return or sales return from that investment. So basically it's crowdfunding for real estate. And I say that to you because, um, again, and you could do this for any place. You could do this for Manhattan, uh, downtown Manhattan Skyrise. Now, probably you need a pretty big chunk to, to be invited into that party, but you and a bunch of people can crowdfund any project anywhere through REITs. Now, I say that, and I want to say this to you about that. Again, it's like crowdfunding. It's, if it fails, you lose your money. Real estate is usually more stable than failing, but it might tie up your money for a long time and not do as well as you hoped it would do. That's the risk. But the upside is, if it works, it tends to pay off a lot higher than like bonds or CDs or annuities or even the stock market. So there's another form of investment. And I'll give you one more for today, and I'll stop. Is cryptocurrencies 
Many of you have heard of things like Bitcoin. Uh, this is kind of a really kind of a newer player in the, in the world of finance. Um, Bitcoin kind of, the idea has been around for decades now, but the first digital currency was in 2009 and uh, through Bitcoin. And since then, other cryptocurrencies have been developed that can do more diverse things than Bitcoin can do. But um, because Bitcoin was the first mover, it's got a head start, but the others are more versatile. And um, it's growing. It's a growing world. And at first it was ignored. And then it kind of got bigger. And some people found, have been finding fault with it and criticizing it. But it's been growing anyhow. And it's to the point now where it's gotten bigger and bigger. And we're at the spot now in our, in our globe where there are countries that are using it for payment uh, options as, as currencies for their country. Uh, cu countries are trying to regulate it. The, the U.S. is about to regulate it, which people are trying to make it sound scary. But it needs to be regulated because it's kind of the Wild West. But it's kind of like the stock market on steroids, really, is what it is. It's just, it's volatile as all get out, but it has been a real, there have been millionaires and billionaires made in the past 10 years off of cryptocurrency, and it's still early. The, the, before this, this has become mainstream enough to be criticized. If you listen to the news and financial news, your regular financial institutions will find fault with it because central banks and big money people are always scared of the new thing that's not the things they control yet. So you hear a lot of fear and uncertainty and doubt, or what we call FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, spread about things like this because those who can't control it don't like it, and those who have made their money off of legacy finance don't like new ideas. But this is a booming industry that has made a lot of people a lot of wealth, and I think the next 10 years are going to make a lot of millionaires and, 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 and even billionaires in this industry because it's a very good investment. But it's volatile. As, it's not for the faint of heart. It's terrifying. You should never do anything in it until you research it. Find out some more. Learn what you're doing. Learn about the cycles, the Bitcoin halvings, the crypto, you know, bear markets and bull markets. Otherwise, you're going to lose your shirt. But if you can get into it, know what you're doing, it's made a lot of people a lot of money. It's been my best investment I've ever made in my entire life. And it can be yours as well. Uh, cryptocurrency and things like Bitcoin. Now, I say that uh, it's volatile. But again, higher returns for higher risks. Lower risk, lower return. And those are just a few ways. There's other ways you can invest. But you can put your money places and, and really turn around opportunities in your life by investing. And none of this is financial advice. I'm simply giving you some options. Don't read this as financial advice about what you should do. I want to tell you right now, you should see a person in person. Do your own research. See a financial advisor. Because I don't, I'm speaking to a group of people. I don't know your risk tolerance, and I don't know your financials exactly. So get some individual help from someone who knows what they're doing. But what I'm trying to say to all of us today is this. We've been saying all series long, don't be like the broke brother who's lazy or wasteful. Be like the ant. Work hard, maximize income, minimize outgoes, store up, and then put your money to work for you in something other than your local bank doing nothing but making dumb. Your bank's investing your money, making good money off of it. Put it to your own work. Get involved in investments like this. You say, well, I don't know where to start. There are some things. Research them. Read about them. Take a picture of the screen or a screenshot online. Talk to someone afterward. Talk to me. I'll be glad to give you what I know. I'll tell you what I'm doing. And, and you can at least, you know, research that for yourself better. But find some people who are investing and learn how to use your money to make more money, to change your life, to change the work you've got to do for the rest of your life, to change how you can live. Now, as you gain wealth, you have to learn to diversify. I'm going to show you a Bible verse from Ecclesiastes. Solomon, who wrote Proverbs, also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. You may not have known that. But in Ecclesiastes, Solomon said this, verse, chapter 11, verse 1. He says, send your grain across the seas 
and in time prophets will flow back to you. In other words, they were an agricultural, agrarian culture. He says as you earn your crops, you work hard to earn and you don't wait, spend it all on yourself. You take the extra and you send it overseas on ships to sell to people who need it. And in time, that investment will return profits to you. It doesn't happen the next day. It takes time for profits to flow back to you. But you get involved and wait. Listen, th- this is not a, investing is a slow game. Because when you first start doing it, remember we taught this in our habits series last year. That when you start doing compound interest works, like you, you start and you're getting nowhere. It's, it's a lot of work and it's boring and it's growing slowly, but it curves. It's like a curve up. And at some point, rapid growth happens, but it's slow and steady and boring until the curve begins to work in your favor. And you got to see it through long enough to win. Most people quit along the way because they, they quit what we call the valley of disappointment. The trough of delusionment, disillusion because it doesn't, it doesn't go fast. But you keep doing it and it curves up. And here's what Solomon said next in verse 2. Verse 2, he says, But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. He says, in other words, divide your investments as you begin to win and gain some wealth. Divide those investments all around because things happen. Risks take place. You don't know what can happen. Is what we call, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You put all your eggs in one basket, and that basket drops. All your eggs are broken. So what you do is you put your eggs in several baskets, and if one of them drops, you lose those eggs, but your other ones are safe. Or in an investing world, you diversify. That's diversification right there. And that way, if one investment goes bad, which you don't know what could happen, your other ones will carry it, and the ones that do well will carry the whole portfolio. Interestingly, I mentioned the S&P 500 earlier. What's interesting is those 500 top companies in the stock market, there's usually just a handful of winners that carry the rest of the market to success. The, the percentage-wise, those percentage of gain across the whole market comes from a few winners. And if you diversify your investments, your winners will carry you, even though some will be losers. You've just got to diversify your investments. Now, having said that, I want to make one clarification, and we'll move on from this topic, uh, this part of the topic in a moment here. But I want to make one clarification. If you are young, or maybe you're even middle-aged, but you've not, got, you've not done this yet, so you're, you're kind of like starting from scratch. Diversification is less important at those stages. Diversification is more important once you're older because you've got to protect what you have because you have no time to recover, or because you're younger but you're already wealthy, so you diversify to protect it. But when you're young and starting out, or you're middle-aged and you never did it, you're starting out, you're not going to get ahead um, unless you take some concentrated Investments maybe on the high, more on the high risk end more than the lower risk end. Um, if you're even if you're middle aged and you so I gotta just I'm gonna play it safe. You'll never catch up by the time you're retirement age. So what you have to do is you have to be willing to maybe take some concentrated aims to have a chance to. And if you lose, you lose. You're you're broke anyhow. You're starting over anyhow. If you're young, you got time. If you're middle aged and broke now, and you try something that doesn't work, you were broke before. It doesn't matter. But you if, you just gotta hit one big investment right to get you started. And once you get started, you can diversify and that can grow for you. And so what I'm saying is this, wisdom says concentrate your investments when you're young or poor. And when you're either older or wealthy and young, you diversify to protect your investment as your wealth grows. Now again, let me just say this as we move on. Find someone who will walk this journey with you. This is not financial investment advice. You need someone who knows your situation, your particulars, and can help you learn and grow. And the good news is there's lots of tools to learn and grow. 
For example, uh, some of my investments are done through TD Ameritrade. You, uh, if, if some, um, some of you are familiar with IRAs, you, individual retirement accounts, you can um, have those pre-tax investments into IRAs that um, basically the idea of a pre-tax IRA is that I think up to $6,000 a year of your income can be put away and not taxed as income into an investment, which is nice for your taxes this year, or $12,000 per couple. After you're 50 years of age, it rises to $7,000 per individual or $14,000 per couple. Can you put away pre-tax income, lower your taxes this year, and then when you collect it in retirement, you pay taxes on it then. There's also Roth IRAs where you can pay taxes on the front end, but once it's in and it grows, you pay no taxes when you collect in your retirement. Also, there's investments where you can say it's not tax protected. I just have a regular investment account. And as it grows, I can go in and out any day I want to. There's no penalties. It's not an IRA. And I have one of those as well because I don't want to wait to, to take investment rewards until I'm 65, all, all of it. So I have some, some short-term investments as well as some long-term investments. Here's my point to you. If you'll take, um, go to a place like TD Ameritrade, for example, they'll give you free tutorials, like questions and answers and study and tests where like you can pass tests and get a free investment education on how to invest your income. And I hope that you'll do that because anyone can learn. But this is, this is what you need to do. You need to learn, talk to someone who can help you learn and grow and, and sit down with you. Now, we're going to wrap up this series in a few minutes here, but I want to wrap it up by looking at a parable that Jesus told. Jesus told a parable, and before I read the parable with you, I want to remind you of something about Jesus' parables. Jesus always told stories that illustrated something bigger about the kingdom of heaven, but these stories also told a truth. And, and probably in the culture in which Jesus told the stories, those people were like, yeah, that's how that works. And he say, okay, that's how that works. Now apply that to the kingdom of heaven. And I think as we've gotten further from Jesus' day and we're in a Western culture, we don't even appreciate some of those stories he told because, like, it's the lost sheep. We don't raise sheep anyhow, right? So we care about the spiritual application only instead of the initial parable story. But the story itself is also truth. For example, the parable about the prodigal son, right? The prodigal son teaches a spiritual truth about how God loves his wayward children and wants us back. That's the heavenly truth. But there's also a temporal truth that builds that story about how all of us should be good parents when our children are wayward. So don't rush past the temporal story to get to the spiritual side only. There's lessons in both ends. That's how all Jesus' parables worked. So here's a parable that Jesus tells about the kingdom of heaven, but uses a, a modern-day illustration at that time that we should listen to the practical side as well as the spiritual side. Here's the story, Luke 19, verse 12. Jesus said... A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. You can already see the spiritual image, can't you, of Jesus. It's already there. But don't miss the practical story as we read it. Before he left, he called together 10 of his servants and he divided among them 10 pounds of silver saying, invest this for me while I am gone. So he gives 10 guys each a pound of silver and says, guys, I'm an investor. I've made my wealth doing this. I can't be here. I'm going to get this crown. I'm going to come back better than ever. But while I'm gone, I want my money to work as if I was here. So you guys have watched me. You invest this for me while I'm gone so we can earn me returns when I come back. Verse 14, but his people hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we do not want him to be our king. Again, spiritual applications galore here, but don't miss the story. 
And maybe the guys who had the money are thinking, oh boy, some of these people don't want him to be their king. Maybe they'll kill him when he comes back or reject him. Then what about this money? Maybe we should just spend it for ourselves. Who knows, right? But some of the guys worked hard to do what he said and invest what he gave them. Verse 15, after he was crowned king, he returned and called in the servants to whom he had given the money. He wanted to find out what their profits were. The first servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made 10 times the original amount. That's a pretty good investment right there. By the way, in the investment world, we use a term for that. We, we call that 10xing. He 10xed his money. He made it 10 times what it originally was. as a 10x return. Or in percentages, that's a 900% gain. He gained 900% or he 10xed the investment the master gave him. Verse 17, well done, the king exclaimed. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you. So you will be governor of 10 cities as your reward. In other words, because you've been invested wisely, you've learned your way, you know what you're doing, I can trust you with even more. The next servant reported, Master, I invested your money and made five times the original amount. Before you get down on this guy for only getting five times, that's pretty incredible. And by the way, investing is a weird world. Two people can invest and get different results. It's just sometimes luck and time and place, how much something can grow. It's, it's not that this guy did any, any, tried any less hard. It's just circumstantial sometimes. But this guy still 5X'd his investment still. That's pretty incredible. He 400% gain on the master's original investment in him. I have five times the original amount. Well done, the king said. You will be governor over five cities. But the third servant brought back only the original amount of money. And he said, master, I hid your money and I kept it safe. I was afraid because you are a hard man to deal with, taking what isn't yours and harvesting crops you didn't plant. In other words, what he's saying is this. Look, I know what a shrewd businessman you are. I've watched you. You get mad when it doesn't work out. You expect it to go a certain way. And I was afraid of messing up your money. So I just kind of put walls around it and protected it nice and safe. It's still here. It was under my mattress. Nice and safe. And um, he, maybe he thought the master would be happy because there's seven other guys who were given money and they're not even mentioned in the story. I imagine those other seven guys must have listened to the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, the FUD of the people who rejected the king and thought, it's not going to work out anyhow. Just live it up for ourselves and use it for ourselves. So this guy probably thought, I didn't waste my investment like those seven guys did. I kept it safe, so I'm better than most people. So he thought the king would say, well, good for you. At least you kept my money safe and didn't waste it. I'll deal with those bad guys, but you kept it safe. But that's not what the master said. Verse 22, you wicked servant, the king roared. Your own words condemn you. If you knew that I'm a hard man who takes what is not mine and harvests crops I didn't plant, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. He says, you know how I am. Put it to at least the bank. When he says the bank, he doesn't mean like your local bank with your sub 1% interest is referring to the exchangers back then earning you something better than that. Listen, again, your local bank savings account is kind of like a digital mattress at your house. It's not going to do you any good, okay? That's not what he's referring to. He's saying at least you're going to put it into a bond or an annuity or a, a money market account to get something for me. 
Even if it was low risk, you could have gotten at least some interest for me, but you did nothing. Now, again, that's a great spiritual application that we're not making our central point today, but I just wanted you to see one more place where Jesus is talking to an audience of people who understood that the kingdom of heaven was being illustrated through practical wisdom about how we handle our stuff. And by the way, you and I have all been entrusted with what we have by God. The fact that you have enough health to get out of bed today and come to church, enough sound mind to think and function, you've been born in a land of opportunity and really at a time when the, in the world where many people across the globe have more opportunity than ever before. Opportunities galore, you're healthy. Some people don't have all that. And, and that's a gift from God. And some of us have jobs or access to jobs. And we have the chance to put the principles to work of working hard to maximize income, minimize outgo, not become materialistic people, but get ahead Invest it and let it work for us to change our lives and our family's lives and someone else's life afterwards. And that's a gift from our God who's been invested and entrusted it to us. And listen, money is not the goal. Listen, money is not the goal. Money is a tool, okay? But we want you to know how to use the tool to do what God has in mind for you. It's a tool for you and me to do work for the master with our lives, Every week I've given you a question at the end of the sermon to take home and think about as, your, as, a, as an individual or a couple or a family. Here's the question to close out this sermon in this series with today. What is your next step in your investment journey? Now for some of us, our next step in our investment journey is our first step. The next step is the first step. Like we gotta just start. Maybe it's going to an education forum on the internet and getting a free investing education to learn these things so we're not drowning in weird terms. We can wade through and learn what we don't know. Maybe it's meeting with a financial counselor. Maybe it's getting our affairs. Maybe just that first step. What's the, if the first step is your next step, then take the first step. Maybe your next step is you've gotten off track. Perhaps along the way you've, you've had a 401k at your job. And by the way, if, if you've got a 401k at your job, which is basically a job providing you an IRA, and they'll match your investment, you should take advantage of, of everything they'll give you for free. That's income, guys. Put it into your 401k to whatever level they'll match at the very least. But anyhow, maybe you've invested before, but you've borrowed against your IRA. <laughs> Bad decision to, 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 to function today. Get back on the right course and start investing again. What is your, wherever you are, beginning, experienced, young, old, what is your next step in your investment journey? I want you to wrestle that to the ground in your small groups or in wherever you are this week. Now, um, because it's fun once you get ahead, because it's not just for you. It's for your family, it's for other people, it's to make a difference in the world you live in. And isn't it fun when you get ahead? Who loves M&Ms here at this church? Okay, I saw these two hands first, and I have extras, so Luke, I saw your hand too. I got, I'll have extras later on. We'll catch up to, I'll catch up to you, okay? But Guy Thompson, I saw you. And I'm going to bring this over to you real quick here. Um, on Facebook Live, can't see me, but blah, 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 I'm talking still. And what's your name again? Brooke. Brooke, there you go. I saw your hand. That's all yours. You can share if you want to. <laughs> now, it's fun to do that. I enjoy doing that every week. You know why I do it? Because I can. And I'm, I'm, I'm not maybe funny, but here's what I'm trying to say. When you maximize income, minimize outgo, you start putting aside, you get ahead, you let your, your, your savings become passive income for you, and you get ahead, you can too. You can give away whatever you want to. You can change everything.
To summarize this, we've summarized it so many ways over the last few weeks. To summarize it one other new way, it goes like this. Number one, work hard. Let's maximize income. Number two, spend wisely, minimize outgo. Work hard, spend wisely. Number three, invest for the future. Let's get these things full and put them to work, making passive income for you to eventually replace your job, to set you free to do whatever you want to do, to help you give the means to, to do some good, which brings us to point number four, change the world. Work hard, spend wisely, invest for the future, change your world and change the world around you. It's Bible principle, it's doable, and therefore, as we follow the Lord, we should follow his advice for how we live our financial well-being in our lives.